hey, every fall, we launch into a fall campaign. It's a growth campaign. And the purpose for a growth campaign is twofold. One is so that you grow. I believe one of my greatest responsibilities as a pastor is to ensure that I am giving you every opportunity to grow in your walk with Jesus, to grow as a person, to grow as a Christian. That is at the core of the gospel. Growth, movement, transformation. That's right in the middle of it. If you're not experiencing growth and transformation, then you're not experiencing all that God has for you. So I feel like it's my responsibility. And one of the ways we try to do that is uh, we can't be growing and driving all the time. So we go through different seasons as a church, but in the fall, it's like, okay, it's time to grow. And so I'm, I'm hoping that you can uh, get, get that uh, in you and get ready for that. The next two weeks, I'm calling them get ready to grow. And then in two weeks, we'll launch the fall campaign. The last weekend in September, we go for eight weeks. And we really are focused in on this year, uh, the, the uh, campaign's called Mission Critical. And it's gonna be a, a mission statement that guides our church forward. Um, and, and what we uh, feel like God's calling us to do and really from the scriptures, what he has for us. And so I'm hopeful that you jump in on this, that you'd, you'd take a hold of it and really uh, uh, do everything you can to be a part of it. This church was created and founded to be a life-giving church. Life-giving churches are all about life change, life transformation. Again, that is what Jesus came to bring us. He didn't just come to give us salvation from hell to heaven, though that's a big part of it, obviously. But he, he has a purpose for us. He has a way in which he wants us to live that will maximize this life for the good. And it'll give us that sense of fulfillment that we're living this life according to God's will and his plan. And so, so important. And so I've got some uh, challenges for you this fall. As we move into growth campaign, I got four, I've got one challenge that has four levels, all right? But I want you to know that as I challenge you, there are challenges that are really unfair because no one's ever really able to live up to them or accomplish them. And so we're kind of destined for failure. And that is not what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna challenge you in ways that are doable, that you can, uh, you can jump in and do them. Uh, I really believe that. Now, an unfair challenge is kind of like what happens sometimes, like the, the four sailors are out in, uh, on a ship in the sea, the captain and three sailors, and the ship uh, was, was going down. Um, it had gotten a hole and it was going down and to sink. And the captain got the three sailors. And he said, listen, guys, there's a lifeboat that we have, one lifeboat. It has room for three people. And uh, the idea that the captain goes down with the ship is a bunch of baloney. I'm going to be on that lifeboat. And so uh, there's only room for two more of you. And so I'm going to give you a little test. And uh, how you uh, do with the test can determine whether you get on the boat or not. And so he fucked the first sailor and he said... Uh, what was the ship um, that was uh, a giant ship, unsinkable ship that was sailing in the ocean, hit an iceberg, and it sunk the ship? And the sailor said, well, that was the Titanic. And he said, correct. Turn to the next sailor. How many people were on that ship that went down that perished uh, with that ship when it went down? And the second sailor said, 1,752. And the uh, captain said, correct. And he turned to the third sailor and he said, what were their names? <laughs> okay, 
He couldn't pass, right? He couldn't win. Listen, I'm not going to give you that, time, uh, that kind of challenge that you can't pass. My challenge is one that you can do. And again, this is 10 weeks starting this week, but eight weeks really of the campaign that I'm asking you to step up and to take the challenge. Here's the four levels. First level to the challenge is make a commitment. Oh, wait, before I get there, there's a statement I need you to understand and resonate with. I say it every year. It's really important. This is it. High commitment equals high growth. Okay? High commitment equals high growth. You and I grow to the level at which we're willing to commit. If you want to experience uh, transformation physically, you want to get in shape, okay? The level to which you'll get in shape is, is direct proportion to your commitment to show up and work out, right? And so we've, we've got to commit. So I'm asking you to make a commitment. Commitment is a dirty word these days, but I'm not afraid of it, all right? Because I know we can do it, and I know you need to do it if you're going to grow. So high commitment equals high growth. Here's the first level of the challenge. Attend all weeks, uh, excuse me, all eight weeks of the fall campaign. Be in church, weekend service. We have two services Sunday, one Saturday night, all right? So don't miss, get to all eight weeks. You need to get to all eight weeks to really comprehend, grab a hold of the mission that we're on together as a church. And you need to be a part of this mission. We're not gonna accomplish it without you. And so make a commitment. For some of you, being in church eight weeks in a row is not something you've done in a long time. For others of you, you're here every week. Listen, you can do it. Trust me, you can do it. Eight weeks in a row. If you have a doctor's note, you can watch online. Okay, <laughs> level two of the challenge. Level two, add this to your, uh, to your commitment. Get in a life group. Okay, the truth is that we learn together uh, when we sit in rows like this. We do. But we know about adults that really the way we learn is when we get an opportunity to sit in a circle and talk with others, share ideas, listen to feedback. That's how adults learn. And so that's why we have life groups. It's a small group. We're there to fellowship with others, to build relationships is the primary goal. But during the fall campaign, I produce life group lessons. Got a little video. So you get to see me again, right? And, uh, and you watch the video, it leads you into discussion and you get to grow as a group. We're gonna follow the, the sermons with the life group lessons. And so you're really gonna get more out of it if you'll get in a life group. We have tables in the back. We have some new life groups. They have lots of room in them still, all right? Sign up for a life group. That's level two. Level three, this goes back to a challenge I issued the first year I was here. And that is to read through the gospel of John. So during this fall campaign, commit yourself to getting in scripture every day, reading through the gospel of John. If you start the week the campaign begins, then you're going to have eight weeks or 56 days, according to my calculations, to read through 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. There are 879 verses in the Gospel of John. And so that equates, if you do it for eight weeks, that equates to 16 verses a day, which will not take you that long, less than 15 minutes. So Get it in your mind, set it on your calendar, get your Bible ready. And if you start this week, of course, you got to read fewer verses per day, but commit yourself to reading through the gospel of John. It's going to get you in God's word. It's going to reconnect you to the mission of God. And that is in sending Jesus to this earth to save us. Level four, very few of you can do all four. I'm speaking to the competitive ones of you when I say that. Okay. Uh, 
Here's level four. Get in a core class. Now, we had over 100 people here. Uh, we had probably 125 or so people in core classes last hour today, all right? There's still room, though. One of them meets in here. We got plenty of room in here. You can still get in on a core class. The core classes are designed to help you connect to um, what God wants for you in terms of involvement in this church and growth as a disciple. And so the core classes are three of them this session that we're offering. One is Bible Basics. Get you into the Word of God, an overview of the Old Testament, New Testament, how to study the Bible, how to make sure that when you have a quiet time, you can get something out of that. It also uh, um, will help you with your testimony, things like that. So Bible Basics, taught by Gene Brader, one of our elders. Great class. There's the Shape class, which I teach, and that's on how you're designed to get involved and serve in ministry. You have a, a spiritual gift. There's a place for you to serve in this church. You need to realize that and figure out what it is and get involved. And so shape class. The third class is called Equip. That's Pastor Luke, brand new class. So if you say I've taken all the core classes 100 years ago, all right, well, there's a new one, right? Equip, Pastor Luke. And again, that's going to take you through some core foundational principles of the faith. Make sure that you're growing and you're able to have a tool to then disciple someone else. And so get in a core class. So that's the four levels, all right? Show up every week for fall campaign, eight weeks in a row to church. Get in a life group, all right, for eight weeks. Um, read through the Gospel of John and get in a core class. I should ask for a show of hands how many of you are gonna do it, but I won't. Okay, let's do it together, please. Let's step into this and grow. <clears throat> all right, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That is where we're going to be this morning in the scriptures. I want to unpack what the word of God says regarding the importance that we grow. That growth really is at the center of the gospel. That you and I continuing to move forward in our relationship with Jesus to grow as disciples is at the heart of what God's will is for your life. First of all, we're going to start in verse 10. We're going to go, we'll skip a few verses, but go through verse 17 and look at this uh, instruction by the Apostle Paul to young leader named Timothy regarding the example Paul had set for him and the way in which he's supposed to be approaching life. Paul is essentially saying here, I'm setting an example for you, Timothy, so that you can follow it. And here's one of the examples that the Apostle Paul demonstrates right off the bat in verse 10. And he demonstrates that Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone who's set on mission, living and working to accomplish the will of God, that his life lines up. And so the first thing that we need to realize as we grow and that our growth needs to move towards this principle, that our lives need to line up. So make your life line up is the first action step or growth principle that we see in this passage. Follow along as I read verse 10. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live, and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Paul's purpose is clear. He understands why he's on earth. I want to suggest to you that the same purpose that Paul had for his life is the same purpose God has for your life. The purpose is the same. How you work it out how you're going to achieve that purpose, the role you're going to play in accomplishing the mission or work of God on earth is going to be different. Your uh, way of working that out is going to be different than the Apostle Paul's and mine too. But we're all called to the same purpose. 
And so your purpose equals Paul's purpose. And this is this, uh, this is what it is. In three steps, Paul says, Timothy, you know what I teach. What you teach is what you say, right? We all teach, we all teach, we all tell people things. What we say, right? And then he says, you know what I do, the way I live my life. So you know what I say and you know what I do. And lastly, he says, you know what my purpose is in life. And for Paul, all three of these things line up. They're in sync. They match. What he says or teaches matches what he does or the way he lives, which also comes from and, and, and uh, uh, matches up with his purpose in life. You have a purpose in life. You're here for a reason. And what you say and do needs to match that purpose. You need to grow to discover why you're here according to God's plan for your life. And you need to work to ensure that all three of those things match up. Now, none of us ever achieve perfection in it because it's easier to say things than to do them. (laughs) But we're working to grow so they're all in sync. I learned a powerful lesson years ago about the power of what we do mattering more than what we say. You know the old adage, listen to what I say, not what I do. And of course, that doesn't work because we all really look for someone to emulate who we respect We look for people to copy in our lives. We all do it. And we're looking for people who have gone somewhere, who've accomplished something in their life that we want. So people we respect. And it almost always means that what they say matches what they do and it aligns with their purpose. When I was a young man in my mid-20s, I felt a strong call of God to enter vocational ministry. I was already serving in the church, and I thought God and I had an agreement about the role I would play, but of course he didn't, he didn't agree to my ag- agreement. And so he began to work on me to move me to a place of working in the church in a vocational way. And so I had answered that call. I went and talked to my pastor, coming back from a missions trip, and I really felt this strong urging from God. And so I went and talked to my pastor and he affirmed it. He said, okay, um, you, we have a position here we need to fill. Um, I think he kind of made it up, but he said, we have a position we need to fill. Uh, You need to be the associate pastor of youth and worship. And so that was back in the days when uh, we sang out the hymnal. And and so it was a little bit easier for me to lead worship than I would not be able to do what happens here. But anyway, so I got that role and I started, I was already working with the youth. And so I um, I continued to do that. Well, one of the things I got to do as now I was a youth pastor is I went to a gathering of other youth pastors within the denomination I was serving in, Evangelical Free Church. And I think we met somewhere like Gothenburg or something. And there was a, a youth pastor at the E-Free Church in Gothenburg. He'd been there for many years. And he was telling us, guys, young, some of you young guys, you're just new starting out here. He said, one of the ways in which has really worked for me to get involved in the community and to minister uh, to the youth in this community is he goes, I volunteer at the school. And I've been able to volunteer inside of the track team in that as, because I did that growing up and, and I know the coach and I build a relationship there and so I'm able to help out. And he goes, you, you should think about that. It might be a good idea. So I'm driving back to Sergeant and I'm thinking, well, you know, I played basketball a little bit. I know a little bit about basketball. So maybe I'll try to get involved with the basketball program at the high school. So I get back and I call what was in the Sergeant Bulldogs, you know, Sergeant High School, asked for Jason. I talked to him, Jason, can I meet with you? He said, sure, come on down. So I came down, I sat down in front of him. He said, what'd I do? <laughs> um, what, what am I in trouble for? I said, well, you're not in trouble. I'm wondering if I could help out some way. And he said, oh, 
So after he got over the shock that I wasn't upset with something, but I was there to help. And then he said, well, actually, um, why don't you be an assistant coach? I could sure use some help uh, practices and with the team. Don't have an assistant coach, got quite a few kids. And so I said, sure, I wasn't looking for that. I mean, I'd been willing to do anything, but that's what he, he thought of. And so I jumped in, started trying to help out, understand his program, support him as a coach. Well, we go through about half the season. And uh, <clears throat> I know it was in the winter sometime, and it was after a game. He said, John, I need to talk to you. Come to my office. And so this time I thought I was in trouble. So we go into his office and sit down. And he goes, listen, I know that I cuss a little bit with the kids. But just because I'm intense and I'm passionate, I want to win. I thought, you cuss? I mean, yeah, he cussed a little bit with the kids in practice at the games, but I never said anything about it. I never even looked at him sideways. I just did my thing. Not like I was sitting there going, Jason, you shouldn't be cussing. You know, I didn't even acknowledge it. But here was this guy working this whole semester being bothered by the fact that he was cussing. And the only reason he was bothered is because I didn't. And so I just said to him, Jason, you know what? I want to win too. <laughs> and he knew it was true. And from that day on, he never cussed with the team anymore. And I learned a valuable lesson about what we do matters an awful lot. It's got to match what we say. And when it's connected to our purpose in life, it all makes sense. And it gives us a powerful ability to influence others. Mark Twain said, there's nothing more irritating than a good example. <clears throat> and that's true, unless you want to be a good example. And if you want to be a good example, you're looking for a good example to follow. Listen, the world needs good examples. Paul was a good example to Timothy. Paul, uh, Timothy, you know what I teach and what I li how I live and my purpose. You know that it all lines up and it lines up around these core principles. He said, you've watched me live by faith. You've, you've seen me be patient. You know that I love others. I'm motivated by love. And you, you've seen me live out a life of endurance. Four key principles to live our lives and to grow in God. We will be effective and we will live effective lives if we develop these four principles. Paul's saying to Timothy, here's four things you can emulate in me. You've seen them in my life. What's faith? We know from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is absolutely essential to our, to our uh, to even having a relationship with God. We can't have a relationship with God if we don't first have faith that he exists. We don't come to him by faith. I've heard so many people say, why didn't God just show up in a way that no one could mistake and challenge that he exists? Just reveal himself to the whole world. I'm like, when did you ever see something happen in this world with human beings where everyone agreed that it happened? Like it doesn't, that doesn't happen, okay? But secondly, we are designed in a way that we need to seek out the truth. We need to look for it. And so God has made it readily available. He's made it very obvious that he exists. You really have to work not to believe in God, okay? I think we can agree on that. However, we have to seek him. We have to search for him. And when we do, he says, you're going to find me. I'll reveal myself to you. But we've got to walk in faith. I think faith in part when it, when it comes to our walk with God, can be defined by our trust in God's power. We have a tendency to be humanists, and we believe that human beings' decisions and power dictate what happens in the world. And yet here's God in the scripture saying, no, I know it looks like people are responsible for everything that happens, but he says, really, I am sovereign over all the world. And I work in and through the situa situations in life, the choices people make. And so as 
we encounter life and problems and issues, we're tempted to think that we need to, uh, it's based on what we do that will dictate the outcome. And that's certainly partially true. But also we need to believe that God is powerfully at work in the world. Patience. I think patience I've come to define this way. Trusting God's timing. Trusting God's timing. We all see things and need things to happen. God, this needs to happen. There's a problem. There's a crisis. I need help. And yet patience is being willing to wait for God's timing for it to happen. Can you trust him in the in-between? When what you need to have happen is not yet happening. And yet believe that God's at work in it, that he is working towards a solution, and at the right time, he will accomplish it. Our timing is not God's timing. He has perfect view of our existence, of this world. There are factors at play. We have no idea what they are, and yet they matter an awful lot to God. You and I need to trust him. Third, Paul says, I operate out of a motivation of love. I love others. I love God, and I love people. And Timothy, you've watched me be motivated by love. We can do a lot of things. We can motivate through this life. We can find motivation in lots of areas. But if we will tap into the love of God for us, for the world around us, what we produce will be altogether different. It will flow with God's will for our lives and for the lives of others. And lastly, he talks about endurance. That's sticking with God's plan. Sticking with the decision we've made to follow him and serve him. So many people drop out of following Jesus because it gets hard. They don't feel right. They're not getting what they want. They get disillusioned and quit. There's a lot of people who quit serving God because there's a conflict. There's a problem. It gets hard. It gets heavy. We've all been there at some point. We've all been tempted to go that direction. Perseverance, though, is required if we're going to succeed at what God has called us to do. Make sure your life lines up. Make it all line up. Grow in that direction. And it requires growth for us to get there. Second principle in this passage I think we see is that we are to stay true to what we believe. Stay true to what you believe as you go through life. It's required if you're going to grow that you stay true to what you believe. Paul says it to Timothy this way. He says, remain faithful to the scriptures. Follow as I read verses 14 and 15. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. He says you've been taught the truth. Stand firm in what you've been taught. Do not bend to the trends of the day. The cultural pressure on us, we live in a culture that believes the truth is in the future. It's unknown. We're still going to discover it. <clears throat> and certainly as human beings, we don't know everything and there's plenty that we continue to discover. But there are some truths that God reveals to us in the scriptures that are unchanging. They will not bend. And no matter what we think is a culture, right, they stay the same. We are to hold on to those things. We're to be rooted and grounded in them. Unbending by the cultural pressure, the, the theories and ideas of the day. God has embedded in us the truth. He's given it to us. Many of us have been taught those core principles and we need to hold on to them. If we're going to grow in the direction God wants us to grow, 
a couple of areas where we're to stick to our convictions. One is in the areas where the Bible speaks clearly to an issue. Plenty of areas where the Bible speaks clearly about issues and says, this is the truth. Now we can struggle to accept it. (laughs) We can struggle to follow it, agree with it. But what we must do is not bend on where the truth lies. And it lies in the scriptures. They come from God himself. And so we hold strongly to our convictions and our convictions come from what the Bible states clearly. The Bible also talks about the ability that we have to have personal convictions. And in, uh, in Romans chapter 14, there's a whole discussion in that chapter, I'd encourage you to read it, about personal convictions. And you might have convictions about things that I don't. And that's, that is part of what it means to walk with Jesus. Now, you're not going to have a conviction that goes against what Scripture clearly says, right? You're not going to. So, where Scripture's clear, that's it. Where uh, it isn't clear, and there's plenty of areas that it isn't clear in life where it gives wisdom to us, well, we have the responsibility to have personal convictions before God that we've developed through our relationship with the Holy Spirit and with God himself. And so we're to live out those convictions. We're not to vary from them. It's important that we hold to them. If we do, we end up in a place where we're living outside of God's will, outside of obedience to him, and that hurts our ability to grow. Man, some of the biggest hindrances to growing as Christians is to have some area of sin in our life that we're either unaware of or we're aware of it. And it literally will stop us from connecting to God. It's like we read the Bible, can't get anything out of it. Go to church, can't get anything out of it. A lot of times it's because there's a blockage in our connection with God and that's where it's coming from. So it's important that we figure those things out. We're in an environment where we can hear the truth. And so stay true to your convictions. Stay true to the scriptures. That is gonna help you grow and stay on a path of growth. Third thing in this passage that we see, third principle of growth, is that we need to allow the scriptures to achieve their purpose. Scriptures have a purpose that they're to accomplish in our lives, and growth is really at the core of it. Listen to verse 16, verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Scripture, Old and New Testament, the words of God, the church, followers of Jesus, Christians throughout the centuries, right, have determined, and early on, we we certainly had the Old Testament, which was brought into the era Jesus walked in, and he affirmed the Old Testament. That was already affirmed as God's word. And then the New Testament, the writings of the New Testament authors, the apostles who had walked with Jesus, the early church determined these are the books that connect with and are true to what Jesus said. And so they were determined from amongst a lot of writings. These are the ones that are scripture. These have the authority of God behind them. And so we have the scriptures. Scriptures are very trustworthy. The Bible we have today is incredibly trustworthy. Many attacks on the Bible throughout the years, throughout the centuries and millennia. Almost from the beginning, the Bible's been attacked. In my experience, and I've heard many of those, most often they come from people that have very little involvement with the Bible. (laughs) They, They have some thoughts, some critiques, like maybe you've heard them, well, the Bible's just a book written by humans. 
Well, it's been passed down so many times, there's no way it could be accurate. You know it's been changed, right? I mean, these, these attacks, and they come, and there's kind of some new ones, but they always, it seems to me, come from people who are outside, right? And, and while those attacks are serious, having gone through some higher education as a Christian leader, I can assure you that the criticism that happens from inside the church, people that actually believe the Bible's the word of God, is much more intense than anything comes from the outside. The shots taken at the Bible from the outside are pretty weak, uh, really, um, from my opinion. But what scholars and Bible, study, uh, Bible leaders and theologians do to examine the word of God, to test it, to weigh it, now that's intense. It's hard. I wouldn't even be able to describe to you the amount of work and effort that's been done to follow the scriptures, to verify that what we have today is accurate to what was originally written. We don't have the original documents, but we have early copies. Um, some go back as early as the 200s after Jesus. That's very early on. And so to have these copies, we have families of manuscripts. You know, when the King James was translated, considered a very good translation. King James was used one family of manuscripts. Modern translations like the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, and those other, you know, Vs, um, they have many families, two, three families of translations, right? Copies of the scriptures. You go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., and a lot of those manuscripts are there. But the truth is that we have such a reliable text. It has been tested and weighed throughout the centuries. It, the work has been done and the care that was taken to ensure that the copies were accurate, 100% accurate. There's nothing like it. And so we certainly believe that God has miraculously protected the scriptures for us and he has. The human involvement is unprecedented, unparalleled. There's nothing like it in, in human history. We can have a great deal of confidence in the Bible when we read it. We know that it's the words of God. And then the next... Um, the next thing that Paul says is that uh, scripture, all scripture, right, is inspired. The word inspired means God breathed. That God spoke through those human authors. People say, oh, it's just a book written by humans. Again, as you read it, and as you involve yourself in it, you see and feel and sense the theme and the connection all the way from Genesis to Revelation. The consistency of message and the spirit with which it is written. You, you begin to identify and understand that God is the author and that we can trust it when we read it. He goes on to say that the Bible is useful. This inspired scripture is useful to teach us what's true. Teach us what's true. We need to know the content of the Bible. So many times in my life, I've had somebody come to me and say, God is telling me to do whatever. And I think to myself, sometimes I say it, yeah, but the Bible actually says the opposite of that, right? And that's kind of embarrassing, and any of us can be stuck in that spot. We can come with that, thinking, God's telling me to do this, but actually, if we knew more of the Bible, we would understand that that isn't what God would be telling me to do. It's really just my own desire or human wisdom. And in order for me to discern that out, I need to be able to read the Scriptures. I need to get the Scriptures in my heart and mind. Take the, read John uh, Gospel of John challenge through the campaign. It'll help get God's word in your heart and mind. That's what God uses to help us discern his will. So we got to get the content. Next though, he says the scriptures make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You know, we all build our lives on a foundation. 
We have foundation that we build on. That foundation will determine the success of our lives. Whether or not we're able to build a life that honors God and reflects him. We can build a life that has a foundation that we can build success in this world on. Um, we can build things that, that will last, right? But if we're gonna build a life that reflects God and his plan, his will for our lives, then we need to have a foundation that's built on him. And this is what the Bible is meant to help us do. Build a foundation, build a life on core principles that come from God. There are a lot of core principles in our culture that people live by. You probably know a lot of them. They kind of rumble around. Maybe you've kind of adopted some of them. Um, but I hear them from time to time and they, they go around. I think to myself, so how does that line up with scripture? One of them that you may have heard, core principle that I know people build their life on. Hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me, right? That means that if you hurt me one time, okay, that's on you. But if I let it happen again, that's my fault. So I need to work to protect myself. Okay, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying it's not a principle to live by. But do you know the Bible says the opposite of that, right? That's not out of scripture. If you build your life on that principle, you're gonna come up against a situation that God's will for you is over here and you're gonna go over here because you're gonna have your life built on a principle that doesn't come from God's word. The Bible corrects us. It helps teach us what to do, help build our lives on a bedrock principle that's strong, that will keep us moving in the direction God wants us to go. It also corrects us when we're wrong. We all have a tendency to go our own way. We listen to our own plans. And the Bible tells us what right and wrong is. It tells us what sin is. It tells us what we shouldn't be doing. And you and I have the tendency to go in a direction that is opposite of God's plan for us in terms of our decision-making. We can end up in an area of sin without even realizing it. And so the scriptures are used to reveal that to us, to illuminate it. The scriptures have the power to speak into our lives and say, with a corrective voice, you need to shift. You've been doing the wrong thing. And we need to let the Bible speak to us that way. And then Paul says, it goes on, uh, the scripture also teaches us to do what's right. So it's not just about not doing things, but the Bible teaches us what we should be doing, that we should be building a life that is reflective of God. There's lots of things we can do. I love Galatians 5, and 23, fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And he says uh, uh, about these things, there's no law or against these things, there's no law. In other words, you can do as much of them as you want. Grow in those areas. It's gonna enhance your life. It's gonna build your life around God's purpose for it. Lastly, I think he, he puts the... Um, the final touch on this passage, which is probably the most important piece of it, and that is the Bible is used, scriptures are used to prepare and equip us for every good work. God intends for us to do good in this world, good that reflects him, good that builds the kingdom of God, good that reaches the people around us, that helps them, that serves them. See, that's why you're here. And as you live your life, if you're tied into and growing in God, what you do will continue to reflect him more and more each day. So no matter where you're at, you're representing him. The things you say to people, the way that you live your life, the purpose that you live your life for, it all lines up. It all lines up around God and his plan and purpose for you and for the world. This is the essential nature of the gospel. The thing that I know though, is um, I could preach the best message in the world on this and convince you 
of all these things, but what is at the core of you and I stepping in this direction, continuing to grow in Christ, is not about what we should be doing, but it's about who we should be in love with. The Bible makes it really clear that the only way we will keep God's commandments are if we, is if we love him. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. A lot of times we think of that the way maybe we heard it from our parents. If you love me, you would obey me, you know. But God's just, Jesus just saying a simple statement of fact is the only way you're gonna keep the commandments I'm giving you is if you fall in love with me, if you love me with all your heart. And so my prayer is, not that we work harder, church, to do all the right things. Doing the right things comes as a result of falling in love with Jesus, of walking with him each day, allowing him to impact our lives. In the medieval ages, there was a monk that was gonna do a service and uh, he had responsibility for the service and then they had church on Sunday nights. Maybe we should go back to that, but Sunday nights. And so the church arrived at the, um, at the or the people arrived at the church and as they arrived, darkness fell on the room and on the, um, on the church and on the people. And the monk took a, a lamp and he lit it. And as the church gathered and all the people were there, he walked up to the crucifix and he held the light up to the crown of thorns. And then he moved down to uh, Jesus' hands where there were holes from the nails. And then he moved down to the hole in Jesus' side that came from the soldier's spear um, proving that he was dead. And after he got done, he blew out the lamp and there was nothing more really to be said because in that simple illustration, the church was reminded of the love of God for them and what God's love for them looked like. And it's only as we connect with the love of God that we will grow in him. God, thanks for your love for us, for the way you care for us and continue to chase after us, try to get our hearts connected to you. God, I pray you'd help us as we live in a world full of a lot of difficulty, a lot of pressure, a lot of conflict, a lot of stuff going on. God, would you help us to continue to soften our hearts towards you, to recognize what you've done for us, to be reminded each day as we get up that we live on purpose, that what we do needs to, uh, what we say needs to reflect you, what we do needs to reflect you. God, help us to fall in love with you more and more each day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up this morning with the time of response, I just think what Pastor John is saying this morning is so important for us to really evaluate in our own life if are, are we really growing? And we talked about this this morning at the equip class, but if you think of the person you know the closest in your life, for me, my wife, um, Sarah, that we've gotten to know each other through marriage, that it's not a guarantee that 15 years from now, I'm gonna know her any better. If I'm not intentionally spending time with her, if I'm not getting to know her, if we're not doing things, we could just live together and 15 years from now actually know each other less than we do today. And see, just because we've been a Christian a long time doesn't mean that we're growing in Jesus Christ. And that this season of going on mission together, that all of us would really take a moment to reflect of, are we growing? And like Pastor John said, how are we growing? Because we can't just be growing by um, hanging out, but are we actually investing in the word of God and taking time to serve 
Jesus Christ. So I just want to read this scripture. This is what our discipleship um, is based on as well as a part of our mission here at Mitchell Brian. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So I just want to encourage you that God has called you to be a teacher of his word and to disciple um, the nations. And it's up to you whether or not you will be willing to take up that call. So I just want to pray for us as a church. And if any of the elders or prayer team is available, they can come up to the front if you would like um, to receive prayer. So Father God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't hold anything back, Lord, but you gave us your life and you spilled your blood for us, Lord. And I pray that we would give you our lives. Lord, your word says that our life is not our own, but we are bought with a price that we should glorify you um, in everything that we do. God, so I just pray that we could be a church that's on mission, a church that truly loves you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.